0: Every single person, wherever we look in the world today, especially with how the world is, is searching for purpose. Because you're white, they prioritize you to be seen first, and you were the doctor for two and a half hours. When we came out, some of the people in that queue who were children died. The average life expectancy of a charity in Malawi is two years. It's one of the hardest places to operate.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with the Megaverse. More about them later. Now, some of you out there aren't subscribing to this channel, and it would mean the world to me if you would. Tens of thousands of people consume this content every single week, and if you could subscribe, it would mean the world to me. That's all I'm gonna ask. Right, onto our guest, Sarah Brooke. This is a lady that went traveling around Africa and into Malawi as a young lady. She got extremely sick, and because she was white, she was seen to before others. That profoundly impacted her life, and since then, her life's work has been about setting up the Sparkle Foundation and helping children in Malawi. It's a very moving story, and somebody I think you'll all resonate with. So without further ado, let's cue the music for Sarah Brook. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced Metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. Sarah, thank you so much for coming to join us today on the podcast.
0: It's an absolute pleasure.
1: (laughs) Now, you and I have met before, and when we met, you told me a bit about your story, and it really gripped me in the moment. And so I want for everyone to start off by learning a little bit about you and what brought you to where you are today. So take us all back to a time when you decided after inheriting some money from your grandparents that you were gonna go and travel the world.
0: Okay, trip down memory lane, 18 year old me, um, young, free, wanted to see, saw the world, closed my eyes, pointed at a map and my finger landed on Malawi. And truthfully, I remember it as clear as day, shouting down to my parents, I'm off to Malawi. And they're like, where's that? <laughs> I was like, it's in Africa. And my dad, uh, are you sure? I was like, no, no, this is where my fingers landed. This is where I want to go. So I said, okay, if that's where you want to go, give it a go. So got on a plane, went over there with a friend, arrived in Malawi, and basically got to a friend's house and they said oh you two can't stay together because you're not married Um, and I was like okay where am I staying He said oh you can go into the village Uh, we've got a cousin that you can stay with so off I went to Edith's place fine very friendly lady English was a bit hit and miss thank god for all the charades at Christmas we could kind of make it work and she was giving me breakfast lunch and dinner their local food and bear in mind I'd come straight from the UK it was sort of Anyone who's been in experienced Africa, they'll know. In Malawi, it's called Ensema, but it's sort of the density of rice, but not, and it's their local maize meal across the entirety of Africa. And eventually, after six weeks, my stomach just was enough's enough, and I suppose in true British fashion, I was too polite to say, this isn't agreeing with me, and just get eating it. I'm not entirely sure what I thought would happen, um, but what I didn't expect was to be unconscious, rushed to the local hospital. Um, obviously, I was none the wiser. My friend took me there and saw the doctor and the doctor said, right, we need to operate immediately. She's had a twist in her bowel, very common in horses, not humans. Um, But we've got no sterile equipment because the donation hasn't arrived from the States. So we're just using alcohol to sterile everything. And I've never done the surgery before, but I'm prepared to give it a go. Um, (laughs) As you can imagine, um, I was grateful that I wasn't aware what was happening, and he was like, well, what's the other choice? And they said to go to a private hospital two hours away, but risk me dying en route. And I can't even imagine what he went through at that moment in time, but he said, no, I'd rather take the chance. She'll never forgive me if she wakes up. And I went to this private hospital, I think just to manage expectations private. it wasn't technically private, it was Queen Elizabeth in Blantyre and they had a bed. Um, I had the surgery, spent three and a half weeks there. Woke up and was very much sort of disorientated with this pain, I was like, what on happened? And he said to me, Sarah, you've had the surgery, you're okay, but when you're in that local hospital, there are over 300 people waiting in that queue to see that one doctor. And when they saw you, ultimately, because you're white, they prioritise you to be seen first and you were the doctor for two and a half hours when we came out some of the people in that queue who were children died and i think anyone hearing that or just knowing if that was them would think my god like the pigmentation in my skin like has dictated whether i'm alive or not and this immense sense of guilt of why have i got a privilege that those children didn't and I just said, that's it, I've got to do something to help. And I called my parents and they were like, Please come home and I was like, Absolutely not. Like I've now got a duty of responsibility to make a difference, at least just to one child's life. And then honestly, I didn't know what would unfold from that sort of commitment. And the next fourteen years has been an absolute whirlwind of a journey to coming to Dubai, to finding Sparkle and I battled, truthfully, from a health perspective. I mean, every single tropical disease I've had—you uh, name it—but um, the challenges that have come, we we stayed true to that commitment. And in 2015, we registered the charity um, in the UK. And I was like, okay, I need to do this. I'd moved to Dubai. The tax-free salary enabled me to fund Sparkle from afar. And then, kind of, the next eureka moment, so to speak, happened. Um, I was very fortunate to work in the PR industry. We launched Tesla here in the region. I was at the Burj Khalifa holding the microphone for Elon Musk, and I remember saying to him, my dream is to run a charity, and he's like, that's great, but I'd make the money first, um, and then you can help. And that night, I went home, and I think, if you remember from school, we had periodic table. I had one of those for all of the children that we were supporting at Sparkle, and we lost a child from diarrhea. And I remember so vividly crossing it off and then having to replace it because we had such a waiting list of children. I was like, how honestly can I go from being with the world's richest man in like, the evening and then going home and losing a child from something that was diarrhea? It diarrhoea? I just couldn't... The disparity was just too much. I was like, that's it. I can't keep making rich people richer here. I have to fulfil what would be my purpose on the ground and quit the job literally that night, Move to Malawi full-time, learned the language, lived in the village, and thought, right, I've got to do something much more meaningful with my life. And that's sort of then how Sparkle unfolded, kept unfolding, kept going, kept going, and grew and grew and grew. 1,000 children became 5,000, became 10, and here we are, 15,000 children later, registered in the UAE, UK, and Malawi, replicated our model twice, a third time in March, and we're now the fastest growing charity for volunteers here in the UAE. And never in a million years did I ever think I'd be even sat here, let alone doing the job that I've been called to do. So um, it's a journey, but one I'm unbelievably grateful to be been on.
1: And that's where we'll end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's just incredible to see that something made you take that profound amount of action is where we don't see it with most people. So... Tell me about the moment where you felt, I have to do something and that you were compelled to action. I know you say, you, you know, you recover from the operation, but you felt you needed to do something. Lots of people feel they need to do something, but they don't often follow it through, not even remotely close to what you've done. Why, why was it so important to you?
0: Because I was alive. Honestly, I just looked, I remember looking down at my body and thinking, I am here and people have died. For me to be here and then I went back to where I was staying, I went past the hospital and I looked at the queue because I was unconscious so I hadn't remembered it and I just looked at all these children that had walked miles just to see this one doctor and the only hope and thought, can you imagine, like, people wherever I've been sort of in the Western world so to speak, if someone pushes in front of you in a queue or everyone's looking around if it's just one person you're waiting and this was 300 people that all thought my life was more important than theirs. And, what I can't just walk away from that and go home and live my nice life and forget about it. And then a series of events kind of continued to happen after that. You know, people had seen me in the village and heard about the story that happened. And, I mean, I'd be here as uh, too long a time to tell you all the different things I've gone through. But, you know, with children that came to us and I had to perform CPR at 22 years of age, like... I'm not a doctor, but I'm not trained in this, and they're no longer with us. And I th- I got called in the middle of the night to go and help with women that were giving birth to children, and these babies died in my arms because umbilical cord in this. And I'm looking on like YouTube, trying to find signal because we didn't have electricity to work out how to do it. And I think when you realise at such young age th- how precious life is, and truthfully, Malawi and Africa in general, there's a different viewpoint of life and death than what we have and what i grew up with and i actually thought that shouldn't be the case i won the geographic lottery because i got born in the uk and had i been born in malawi my life would have been so different and i now have an opportunity because i had the access to education to people to medical care that i can do something about it and even if it was just one life that was worth it for me and i didn't ever ever anticipate that we'd be fifteen thousand lives and this would be where we are and i think i hope I can only be living proof to people that anyone can do it. And there is genuinely, and I say this, so many people say the same question, how did you end up going to do something? Like, I'm no different, honestly, to anybody else. Everyone has the drive within them that they can go and do it. Unfortunately, we just end up limiting what we believe we can do if we put our mind to it. And you'll have a problem and then you think, oh no, okay, that's the barrier I can't push on. And I've had every single barrier thrown at me from a health, physical, emotional perspective, and yet, the hurdles, and you just got to keep going over and over and over them. And I think when you can see you're changing someone's life, every single thing is worth it, no matter what you face. And I think if you ask any humanitarian, they will say the same thing.
1: You set up a charity. Yep. What was the journey like to set up a charity <laughs> here in the UAE? Obviously, it's different to anywhere else in the world.
0: It's hard. I mean. Take even the UK—you have to have a minimum of sort of five thousand pounds, so twenty thousand dirhams in your account. And for me, at, at twenty-one, that was a significant amount of money. So my twenty-first birthday, I asked everyone to give me money instead of presents, and then okay, step one complete. Then, when setting up in Malawi, we had to have a certain amount of money. And bear in mind, twenty-three white woman in a predominantly male society—they wouldn't even let me go in the room to have a meeting with them. They kept asking if I'm the PA, who am I? I had to have lunch by myself, sat outside for all these meetings. No one took me seriously. So that was a journey trying to even establish ourselves in Malawi. And then fast forward to the UAE, everyone said, it's never gonna happen. It's impossible to register a charity, Sarah, in the UAE. We tried, we failed the first time, and they said, no, you're too small. Second time, Malawi, it's not particularly a country of interest. There's not really appetite for uh, African charity here, okay third time, I'm not really sure you're going to be able to sustain yourself, you're still very small, and I said, okay, and they said, you can't appeal, Um, this isn't advice for everybody, but I did appeal, because I was like, I really genuinely believe in this, and I think if only I could reach the right people that could hear what Sparkle could do here in the UAE, I really believe the government, the private sector will support us, and they gave me 20 minutes to pitch why I believe Sparkle could really make it, and they said, okay, we'll give you a year to prove yourself, and... uh, we're now 18 months into it, and I think we've well and truly proven uh, what we're doing. And it's been amazing to see, and it's not a testimony just to me, but all the people in the UAE who've helped make this possible.
1: The foundation itself supports children in Malawi. Yep. What exactly do you do to support those children?
0: So from Sparkle's perspective, we initially started just education. And truthfully, if I put it in kind of relative terms, is that our children were falling asleep by 10 o'clock because they were hungry so I was like okay there's no point educating our kids um, if they're hungry so let's bring in a feeding program we were then losing on average a child a month um, from a preventable disease so I was like okay we need education food and a medical support and then our attendance was so up and down and I was like why is that so I did like a day inviting the parents to come to sparkle and seeing the parents honestly grab the toys the books I was like hang on a minute and then I just obviously was speaking the language to them and they said we never got this I was like okay let's educate the parents and i think any parent around the world says the same thing they want the best for their children and that was then the fourth kind of program within our pillar community empowerment get the parents involved get them having opportunities to get an income and we ended up with this model education medical nutrition community and before we knew it it started happening we had nursery school primary youth women's group, I don't literally, I mean, you name it, if we go into a community, we do it. And our big belief is it's that holistic approach. Everything has to work hand in hand, and that includes working with partners. And my big mindset, truthfully, behind that, sort of the final pillar of sustainability came. Uh, 2017, I was in a coma in South Africa. The charity just was going downhill. I'd had a very bad head injury in Malawi. And when I woke up, I realized that this will not sustain itself. This is all kind of becoming very much about me, my story. Let's look at the long-term legacy we want to leave behind. And from that perspective, like let's partner with organizations. And I thought, if I was to die tomorrow, what do I want to leave behind? And that's when we started thinking, okay, let's work with other charities, other private sectors that really do want to make a difference. And that's ultimately been the next stage of our journey to now having this model that everyone believes in. We want to replicate it around Africa and. We're now at that crossroads that I believe in the next two years you're going to hear a lot more about Sparkle. Talk
1: to me about the fears people have around charity because there's lots of stuff you see uh, online or if you watch the news where. Some charitable organization has taken the money and not made good use of it, or a charity in Africa has tried to do something positive, but the money's been received into Africa, and corruption has led for some more lots of that money to be you know, siphoned away. Um, we've had various charitable organizations on here before, and this is a, this is a real problem. How do, you, how do you see it, and how do you get over it?
0: Um, I think anyone who tells you that they can guarantee you 100% of your money is going directly to the cause, unless they are personally taking it and they're end-to-end, it's not true, like... we've put obviously as much governance in place as possible that we can. I've been on the ground, I've seen what's happened and I think honesty is the number one thing. I think charities are always in fear of being honest when things go wrong and actually that authenticity of we are doing our best and we're trying our best and these things happen really does help. Um, I've had numerous situations where we've had to fire our finance directors because money you know, it's so easy because of the receipt situation to be able to copy, forge something and then they split the money either way and it's so sad that that is happening but then you also have to look at it from the other perspective what I've seen is that we've never been in a position where we're in a situation we're going into work we're feeding someone else's children and then we're knowing that when we go home our children are starving and I'm not justifying any type of act but until you walk in the footsteps of somebody else you won't ever understand what circumstances people may be dealing with. So we've done everything we can as Sparkle, and I've, I've seen first-hand charities that haven't got it right, and they try and bury it under the water, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And I think be out, out and honest would be number one. Number two is just do everything you can from a governance perspective to limit it. I think going on the ground for me and having real-life experience to know where the tricks are. Um, everyone says about Africa, corruption. I mean, when I went back at 21, after a year, not being in Malawi. the same situation happened. I looked at the building, no roof, no toys, no children, called home and my dad said, oh Sarah, just come home, that's Africa, that's corruption. And I was like, no, no, that's a 21 year old who has no experience in the charity sector, built something that they never asked for, put my Western views on it, this whole like white savior approach. I got it so wrong and I can't be another statistic. I mean, the average life expectancy of a charity in Malawi is two years. It's one of the hardest places to operate. So I went and learned at other charities, and I realised, okay, there's a lot of political corruption, a lot of different things that people are doing. Let's change it. And this Sparkle was never about just one child in the end. It became about changing the way the sector is, the way we operate. And I think there's a big fundamental issue, truthfully, that we're forced to operate in a certain way. No marketing budget, no this budget, no we can't pay high price for staff members, yet we're still expected to deliver at the same standard as the corporate world and still have that accountability of your money anyone else's money donors money but yet with the most limited resources possible so it's very much for me about education being honest and really showing people sort of what governance structure you can do and learning um, from other people makes
1: sense now let's talk about csr yeah a lot of opportunities for companies to get their employees engaged we see a lot of these activities that take place that are kind of i would argue many of them pointless (laughs) tick box exercises tick box exercises yeah then then there are others that really move people compel people and make them feel like they're doing something that's worthwhile and valuable the benefit of doing something with sparkle from a csr point of view from your own experience has been what exactly from from corporates
0: I think my big thing from seeing them is genuinely they get more out of it than potentially sometimes even we do from even a mental health and well-being perspective. I think every single person wherever we look in the world today, especially with how the world is, is searching for purpose. And what Sparkle can do is provide people with that opportunity. Um, we all are saying we feel empty, what are we connected to? What you know? We're seeing all these things that are going on and we can't do anything but yet Sparkle can give that chance whether it's mentoring, whether it's volunteering, whether it's going over to Malawi, we have something and we're not a huge organisation that someone is that removed from being on the ground and being with the children. And I think when we come, people come back from Malawi, we always get the same reaction. It's changed my life. And we've not had one single volunteer that's got involved with us, that has not stayed involved with us. And that's why the family is growing and growing and growing. I'm not saying what we've got is down to me as what we've created. But genuinely, I think anyone who gets involved in Sparkle, there's something about it. There's a... There's a feeling and that feeling is that we really feel that we're making a difference together and that sense of purpose and community and um, people joke saying like I'm the Tinder for purpose, connecting people with their (laughs) purpose Um, and if that be it then it genuinely will help us make the world a better place because especially in Dubai people want to make a difference. We're all in a position of privilege regardless of where we've come from being here in the UAE. So why don't we all do something? It doesn't have to be huge. And I think that's what a lot of people, corporates especially, think. Oh, it's all about money. No, no. Resource, time, expertise, skills, whatever, exposure, networks. There's a whole list. Um, I always say to people when they come to Sparkle, be careful what you wish for. Uh, It's an ongoing joke because if someone comes into the office and says, I'm happy to help. And i oh, don't say that in front of Sarah because (laughs) you may come out here with a whole host of things because our youngest volunteer is four years old. She climbs mountains for girls' education. Our eldest is 83. He's knitting hats in Saudi. So no one can tell me, oh, I haven't got something I can offer. Everyone has something to offer, which um, we just need to find exactly what is your why and then connect you.
1: It's interesting you say that. Everyone's got something to offer. It's so often is it seen as money. But it's giving something of yourself, giving your time. You know, I say to everybody in the UAE here, if, if you want to feel good about yourself, every month, take half a day and go and volunteer. Okay, just go and volunteer, it doesn't matter what it is, you could be at a, a dog canine centre, it could yeah. be children with special needs, it doesn't matter what it is, just go and volunteer. You'll feel so much better about yourself if you do. And so when you look at something like you do, anybody so my wife is into one particular thing my colleagues are into different things they've all got something of value they can bring to the table they don't have to be writing checks all the time Is that that's what you're saying
0: correct and i think also people think their skill sets is what they're doing in their professional career but when they come to us and we sort of go through their cv how can you help it's often the softer skills the things maybe like i'm a good cook at home or i'm a good organizer there are some of the things that maybe they wouldn't have seen on surface level that they were going to contribute or their good musical talent that they now end up helping us Um, And I think everyone always says to me, you know, why do you keep going and doing what you're doing and volunteering exactly what you're saying is that, I think there's a negative association with the word addiction, but truthfully from my perspective, it's a feeling once you've changed somebody's life, you just want more and you just wanna keep going and going and going. And everyone says, when will you start? Where's the ceiling? And last year for Sparkle, I achieved more than I'd ever dreamt truthfully and this year I'm looking at it like where are we going because even this has blown my mind but I just know now as long as we keep changing lives and as long as more people I give more people the opportunity to feel what I get to wake up every day and do who knows honestly where this will end up
1: so when you think about somebody wanting to make a positive change they're sat at home you know their their life has gone from Friday night out at the pub with their friends, you know, and they've got a little bit older, they've had their kids, and they're sitting there, it's like, well, what can I do? What difference can I make? How, how can I do something better, stronger? I just don't know where to start. And So while I don't know where to start, I'm going to stay in that box. Of no, <laughs> <laughs>
0: take action. I mean, just get in touch. I mean, I think so many people have this perception, like, we never hear back, there's no point, I'm not good enough, I'll never be able to do anything. Honestly, it takes three seconds, literally, to make a decision of, OK, I'm going to do something. Just drop us a message, and this is my big thing. If someone reaches out to Sparkle and they do not hear back from us, I will be shocked, because we've got our Malawi team that are online, we've got our uk UAE team, we're always going to respond to someone, and there hasn't been anybody that we've ever had to turn away to say sorry, you can't do anything. Yeah, but it's you know what? Well,
1: been... I, 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 let's role play this for a second. You know, I've got nothing to offer. You know, I'm a housewife, for goodness sake. I I, I, I bring up my kids. I, I don't, I, can I don't know Can you use a what... computer? Yeah, I can, yeah.
0: Yeah, basic admin. I mean, you, we're unindated with, like, even just Excel spreadsheets of things we've got to sort out. Are you on social media? Could you just look at some potential people on Instagram that we might be interested in following or do, sharing some posts with? Like, it's so... Your children go to school. What school do they go to? Maybe their school's interested in doing a partnership with us. What's your neighbour doing? What job have they got? Like, it's so, like, are you into interior design? What's the situation? We're actually doing some building work over in kind of our UAE office at the moment, and we're looking on Google for design ideas. Maybe you've done your living room and you could give us some suggestions. Like, there's no one. You come at me. Literally come (laughs) at me with something, and I'll find you something to do.
1: So there's something for everyone. Yes. When we talk about companies and their CSR initiatives, a lot of companies don't know where to start either.
0: Yeah, but they see this as this huge, big, and like you said, about money and all of the rest of it. We can come in, and I think one of the beauties of Sparkle, and honestly trying to pitch Sparkle, but just in general, is we cover so many different areas. Not everybody, I think, that gets involved with charity, there's usually a reason. There's a cause, like whether someone suffers from cancer it's close in the family or it's oceans in the plastic, whatever it may be. For Sparkle, we cover so many different areas. I mean, we're covering so many of the sustainable development goals that you'd struggle, unless it was kind of plastic ocean environment to find something that we could relate to and I think if you find that linking point it's got to be driven by the employees it's no use being CEO's pet charity because after a year everyone's bored and then they're doing something else and why are we doing this begrudgingly getting involved if the team are enthused they believe in the cause um, everyone gets behind it and it makes a difference and just again same as volunteers start somewhere
1: but how does does that team come together and choose something like that how do they know what it is that they should all get behind.
0: So for us, we go and speak, and then we put kind of a questionnaire together, and then they choose, and we look at trends, and if it is like a 80% are interested in women, then we'll look at what our women's program are, and we'll say, okay, these are the different options, let's work towards this from a financial perspective, from a training, mentoring, volunteer, and then we build towards a three-year project, and then everyone's part of it. Um, if it's kind of split decision, then we obviously go to a board level and say, what aligns with your mission and values? Because I think this is something really important that why the charity sector potentially has not progressed at the level it should have is, it was always one way. It's always been like the bucket at the end of the street asking for money or give me this, do this. If you do not make it mutually beneficial for both parties coming into it, your longevity of that relationship is so short-lived. And for us, if we don't have a problem that someone's getting something from coming to Sparkle, we want to make them feel that actually this is beneficial because then they'll spread the word, they'll keep coming back for more. And that's the same with companies. If they genuinely feel that they've helped make a difference and they've been part of something if they want to put it out in their marketing, but we know that the impact is genuine, then so be it. As long as our messaging is correct and they are making a difference and our values align, for us, um, we're happy to scale and go with companies wherever it takes us.
1: Let's talk about this whole kind of, like, whitewashing. I, I, I grew up in Africa myself, so I have spent time in Nigeria as a kid. I've worked there. My grandparents were missionaries, and so I know, I know what it's like to live in Africa from first-hand experience. A lot of people would argue that, you know, we come from the West with our ideas. We come with what we believe is the right thing to do. Almost like, you know, when the missionaries would go over there and, you know, our religion, you know, you should believe in, you know, Christianity or whatever it may be that at the time was, was suitable or discussed, they discussed. Do you get resistance in Malawi from people that are like, what 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 are you doing here? We, we like things the way we have them. You don't need to come in here and, you know, shove your... Um, halo you know, <laughs> o- o- over us
0: um i did initially unintentionally truthfully when i went to malawi when i was 18 i went in saw every person will say they see the same thing that's usually a founder of charity children learning under a tree one said person helping oh here's my big idea i'm going to build you a school and i'm going to do this came built it took my pictures selfies walked away thinking oh, i've made a huge difference here great obviously when i went back a year later wasn't the case and I went through that process thinking I knew what was right. I then decided that I had to learn and live in the village. And truthfully, went to live in the village thinking maybe if I live like a Malawian, I'll be accepted as a Malawian and I'll understand things. That is not the reality. Like there's a fundamental difference with how both of us, if I say my um, colleague, my country director, I very, very similar to me in a lot of ways, personality values, but it's grown up in a completely different way. And it was so interesting living together. She was like, we're always going to have fundamental differences. And I can't try and be something that I'm not. I can adapt and we can adjust. And that's what then changed my mindset. And this is probably a relatively controversial thing to say, but I don't blame Malawians for the situation. A lot of people will come there, certainly white Western people from the States or from the UK, and say, oh, you know, we need to help, we need to save. And say, because they're not doing this, this, and this. They're not doing this, this, and a lot of the time because... Charities came, the NGO sector came 100 years ago with their big four by fours, driving around, handing out fertilizer tickets, handing out tokens for food, this is this. So everyone just sat and waited. And then when we came as Sparkle, once we'd realized the mistakes I'd made and I was adamant I had to correct them and it had to be community led, it had to be the people that voices were heard and I was behind the scenes of this, is that... I'll give you a prime example. We tried to do a farming project and we had tried to get the locals involved in it. And they said, Why would we want to do that when we can wait for a charity down the road that will come and do it for us and then give us the food? And it's like, Wow. And some people may have seen that situation go, Oh, you're so lazy, this is the rest of it. No they've grown into a society where everything was then been given and then it's very difficult to learn if someone had thrown resource at me my entire life and not i'd have to learn how i had i would not be able to stand on my own two feet so for us it's all been about training community understanding and that cultural aspect was really important for me when i learned obviously to speak to chewa, going into the family spending time in the homes i really was able to understand that i can't put my views on it the final decision sits with our malawian team if they I'm on the ground in Malawi and they say, no, don't do this. Um, we're not doing it. And that's, we've turned down millions of dollars, truthfully, if people in the West saying, oh, build this building, so put our name on it, or do this and do this. No, no, if that's not aligning with our values and what our team in Malawi want to do, it's not the right decision. And I think that's why it's really hard for the sector because ultimately we need money. We're at the hands of the public, right? And they want to give, but they want to give either restricted donations or under an assumption that what they're saying is best. I would never come to you and say Spencer dictates you how you do your podcast because this is what you do it's obviously doing so well for itself it's not my position to do it yet everyone loves to come to me as a CEO of a charity and say you should be doing this this is what you should be doing they've not experienced the not-for-profit sector and then the second favorite question is are you taking a salary for doing what you do I mean we are in such an unfair position to thrive and I mean, I have to hold my hands up to people that are in the sector that keep doing what I'm doing every single day in the teams um, because it's not easy, truthfully. Mm. And it's an education thing. People need to understand the reality of what it's like.
1: makes me think about the Americans going into the Arab world trying to spread their version of democracy. (laughs) And it's like the Americans, no, everyone needs democracy. This is how it needs to be, that you get in Egypt or you get in in Libya or one of the other Arab countries where they're like, well, we've never had democracy and we kind of liked it the way it was. You know, we live here in the UAE and we don't have a democracy. We have the, the structure the way that it is. And it's just fine. If you try and bring in something else into into a country and try and change the way they've known for always it's gonna create confusion for people at best isn't it
0: if you've not walked somebody else's walk i genuinely believe you are not in a position at all to dictate how they should live their lives you can give suggestions you can work together you can see things and help with resource but you're not there like no one can say or go to sparkle better than the people that are in the community And say this is what you should be doing and look what happened to me we failed miserably because we thought my views would be best and it's only actually taking a step back and realizing no you lead us you show us and i'll do my strength which is fundraising you be on the ground let it be locally led so that we can do that and i think there's obviously everyone's chasing after power wealth all the rest of it with in the world dynamic and charity sector for years people have been putting a plaster over a wound and not treating the wound itself, and actually to treat the wound, is to realize Africa in general is not poor, it's not about poverty, it's got more resources than anywhere in the world that's making people in other continents wealthier than they've ever been before, and yet we treat it as like, oh, they need help, they need to be saved, or safari. No one else says much else. No one says about the amazing entrepreneurs that are there, the businesses, the investment opportunities. And until that shifts, um, and I really hope that from Malawi or even countries across Africa will come together and rise up together to show the world what is capable. Um, we're gonna be constantly in this America, UK, looking out like they are on oh poor old Malawi, poor old this, and it's not the case.
1: If your non-profit were a superhero, what would its superpower be? And what would its mission be in the world?
0: We had this at our team Christmas dinner, so well prepared on this one. Um, superheroes i would put it as the powerpuff girls because um, there's three of them representing sort of the three different countries that we're currently operating from and representing three different women that have got different attributes superpower um, genuinely think would be flight to be able to reach as many places as we can we are limited by what we can do now because we can't get there quick enough so if we were able to sort of magically drop sparkles around the world uh, with our superhero women uh we would be in a much better place
1: interesting okay what's the most heartwarming or uplifting story from your nonprofit's work that never fails to make you smile
0: oh there's too many flipping heck um i think i'd have to go on the last trip that i went back to malawi that um a boy came through the school gates with a letter and ran up to me and obviously we've got so many children now and one of the teachers explained to me he's come to see you and he gave me a letter and he said, I was one of your first children to come to Sparkle. It made me feel my age because he's now 14 (laughs) and he came in when he was three. Um, But I remember seeing him and he spoke English and he looked at me and I just thought, wow. It was that real sort of wow moment that we are actually doing something here that's changing someone's life. And he was saying thank you, he's been able to go through school. and yeah, I just sat back and I said, hey, it's all been worth it. Like, no matter how many struggles we faced, this is definitely something. So yeah, I mean, that's one of them. There's, there's honestly so many. We just had our first boy go to university last week. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy journey. And I'm watching things that I put out eight, nine years ago saying, can you imagine if we did this? Can you imagine this? And now I'm doing this and it's like, okay, we're living out something. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Epic."
1: What's the most unexpected challenge your non profit has faced and how did you overcome it?
0: <laughs> unexpected. Um, oh. Without going too heavy, I probably would say cultural differences have been really difficult to overcome, certainly for me and someone so passionate about child rights and different things. So um, we have a lot of. Situations that with trafficking now is an issue, um, with cultural beliefs about how you can cure HIV. Um, there's a whole lot of tribal uh, challenges that even kind of the remote villages in Malawians face, and we hear of children that are going through that. And in my natural self, I want to stand up and charge and say, oh, "No, this is not acceptable. We can't do this. We need to fight." Um, but to your further questions that you asked me earlier. I then have to remember this isn't my country, Um, I have to just do what I can from afar, provide the legal support, the advice to make people realise what they can and can't do and that's really hard Um, and all I've been able to do is throw resource at the people to say here's an opportunity to speak to people, to get counselling, to get advice and we've launched the first mental health programme across Malawi and I hope that will help people be able to talk about emotions that they've gone through and the trauma. I mean one in five in Malawi faces domestic violence at some point in their life and It's hard seeing that, and you know, I think about this situation. We had an awful challenge where um, some of our children were um, raped—a five and a two-year-old—and I got the police to come and speak to our community, and say like, "Rape is not okay. It's not this and this." And all the mums and dads were just sort of smiling in the audience and like clapping. And I was thinking, like, how can you sit there knowing that your children are being subjected to this and think it's okay? And my country director pulled me to one side, it's like, they just don't know any differently. It's like a cultural norm and every part of my body was boiling. And I was like, just like hearing the children, seeing them what they're going through and not being able to do anything, that's really, really hard. Um, but I can't enforce my views on people. We can try give the training, the support, but um, that's a much bigger picture thing that I don't think Sparkle is in a position to solve right now.
1: Sarah, thank you so much for coming to share your story with us today on the show. I really appreciate you being so open and candid.
0: No, thanks for having me.